Hello and welcome to the latest DAC Beechcroft's Lawcast. My name is Adam Burrell, Head of Costs in the Claim Solutions Group of DAC Beechcroft. In this episode, William Heritage, an associate in our cost team, is joined by his colleagues Phil Robotham, a cost lawyer, and Prabal Perkayasva, a solicitor and cost lawyer, to discuss cost budgeting, the purpose of cost budgeting, the reasons for departing from the budget, disagreements that surround budget departure, and the future of budgets. This is the first in a series of podcasts that we will be making on cost claims, so please follow us on Lawcast for further information on the topic. Hello everyone and welcome to the first episode of the COST podcast series. My name is William Heritage and I'm an associate for DAC Beechcraft within the COST product. Throughout the series I'll be having numerous guests from within the team to talk about everything costs. This brings me nicely onto how this podcast came about, which was around five years ago. I was working in the office late at night, not many people there, but I had my headphones in just to concentrate. I then heard over my headphones, which is quite <laughs> amazing, really, uh, which is really is an achievement within itself, two lawyers having the most heated and entertaining debate I've ever heard about cost budgeting. I've described it in the past as a verbal boxing match, which again leads me nicely onto my two guests today, uh, two incredible and amazing lawyers who I have loved working with over the last 10 years. Um, and here they are, Phil. Prabhu, would you like to introduce yourselves? Okay. Uh, so my name is uh, Phil Robotham. I'm a cost lawyer. Uh, I've been doing this job now for 35 years and uh, was at the forefront of the introduction of cost budgeting in 2013. And I am Prabhu Prakasta. I'm a solicitor and cost lawyer. Uh, I've been doing the job for roughly 10 years. Yep. Yep. Um, so really, in regards to why we're here today and what we're discussing, all about budgeting. And I know you two, there's probably not many people in the whole world that know more about budgeting than you two. So I really wanted to get you into a room and to discuss it. Can someone just explain for people who may not know the purpose of budgeting, what it's all about? Give, give me, act as if I'm a child and explain it to me. Prabhal, I'll go for that if that's okay as I manage yeah, the uh, cost budgeting team. And cost budgeting is prospective um, costs in the sense that um, the courts are presented with costs from the parties that they project will be spent uh, throughout the case. They have the opportunity to support those claims for costs. Equally, the other parties have an opportunity to challenge those costs. And if they can't be agreed, then the court will decide what are reasonable and proportionate sums per phase of the cost budget. Okay, that's very, very good. Prabhav, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I'll, I'll just add a little bit more nuance, uh, just for people who may not understand what a phase is. Yep. Uh, we have sort of divided the work in litigation in specific types of work and a type of work is a phase and for each phase or type of work the court decides and the parties discuss amongst themselves what is a reasonable amount of work for that piece of the litigation and that's what a phase is okay brilliant um where do you think it fits into the current climate do you think it's 
what's the purpose of it? Why is it here, basically? If I may, uh, so um, Lord Justice Jackson and his reforms that came into effect in uh, April 2013, cost budgeting was one of the fundamental tenets of his reforms in the sense that he wanted to do away with the old days of ambush where nobody really knew, and certainly the parties or the court didn't know, what the costs were during the running of the case. It wasn't unknown until the end. And then there was this ambush at the end when a huge amount of costs appeared seemingly from nowhere, and then there had to be a discussion as to what was a reasonable amount. Cost budgeting now, it informs the case managing judge at the CMC hearing how much is going to be spent per phase, per expert, or whatever it is. And in that way, a proper uh, and open uh, discussion can be had at the CMC as to what is reasonable. And not only does the court know and the parties know how much costs are going to be incurred, but also the respective clients also are involved in the whole process. So there's no ambush. There's no surprises. Everybody has an idea of what costs are being spent. So absolutely fundamental to the Jackson reforms. And I think I think it's also worth mentioning that it also attunes the conducting lawyer's mind towards how much he's spending on the case at a very early stage in the case rather than right at the end without thinking about cost so much. So it sort of attunes the the the, the lawyer's mind as well. So that also is is quite important aspect of this whole cost budgeting. Definitely. I mean, from my perspective, when it came in in 2013 and we, we was looking at it just before and preparing, I think a lot of the, the purpose was to, to obviously manage the costs, make them a bit more streamlined, uh, maybe reduce the costs, maybe. Do you, would you agree with that both? Well, I would <laughs> say it's a two-edged sword uh, because uh, whilst the idea is to control the costs, at the same time, they lock in costs for the benefit of the receiving party, usually the claimant, um, who can then receive that. And it's difficult for the challenging party, usually the defendant, to get that reduced. Would you agree, Pabal? Well, yes. And I suppose that's what we'll be discussing very shortly about about that aspect of it. But yes, it was. I suppose it was intended to keep costs more proportionate, but for various reasons, it, it, it's, it, has its, it has had its problems. <laughs> I was going to say, you sound sceptical there <laughs> for some reason. Um, but notwithstanding, it is in principle and in theory, it is a fundamental and important aspect of, of managing a case. Yeah, it, it's very, very important. I mean, for myself, challenging bills, it comes up nearly all the time in, in regards to comparing the budget and comparing the bill of costs and it helps really aid in the negotiation of, of the costs. I think at the very, very start, I think a lot of people were saying, well, this will stop the negotiation. This will stop the escalation of costs. Um, but I think it's a little bit more complicated than that, um, which you two will probably agree with in regards to that, um, especially yourself, Phil, who, who deals and manages the budgeting team here. Mm. Um, the amount of uh, budget cases you get um, it's probably going up and up and up, whereas I think uh, there was an intention there within the Jackson reforms to probably to keep them as down as possible. But it seems like it's had the opposite effect. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that's it's a, it's a good understanding of budgets um, there and the purposes of it and the current climate at the moment. And I think this goes in nicely into 
the salmon case, the good reason, um, and basically the, the contentious issues that I heard you two arguing about five years ago. Um, would you be able to, as simply as possible, because I know it can get complex in that, as simply as possible, where the disagreements come in, what what, what is a good reason, for example, how does the mechanics of the budgets work? I'll let Phil go into that a bit, but I'll just preface this by saying, since our heated debate five years ago, things have changed somewhat and we have a little bit more clarity in the law that, that wasn't necessarily there. So it's just something worth mentioning if, if uh, our listeners are expecting a repeat of that debate. Things have <laughs> moved on a little bit since then. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, just, just going from the start, um, basically the mechanics of it what what basically happens of if somebody gets a good reason or why does somebody need a good reason to depart from the budget how does that work in say a cost management hearing right well phil do you want to yeah um so the the basic tenet of cost budgeting is that where there is uh, an approved phase at the cmc and it then goes to the detailed assessment is that there has to be a good reason to depart from that amount of the uh, approved sum of the cost budget. And the good reason, and and this will really come into it when we start having a look at salmon in a moment, the the good reason what is meant by that is is the fundamental uh, thing about the discussion we're going to have today, because what does it mean by a good reason? And and we're going to examine that. And and if there is a good reason, uh, whatever it may be, as we'll discuss, uh, then once that good reason has been established, then an argument can be had as to how much that uh, uh, phase can either be increased for the benefit of the uh, receiving party or decreased for the benefit of the uh, challenging party. Okay, brilliant. So you have a budget, let's say you have a budget for argument's sake of 100 grand, it's all divided into different phases. And what you're saying is to depart from that when you get to the well during the case or when you get to the end when the damages have been settled, that you need that particular good reason to depart from it. Otherwise, the phases should carry on. Is that right? It, it's a little more nuanced than that because yeah, as we'll correct. discuss, it, yeah. um, it may well be that the amount of work that is being claimed is less yeah. than the sum. So, for example, you could have a phase that has been approved at £10,000, but only £5,000 of that £10,000 has been spent. And it's what yeah. you do with that, which is where what we'll come on to in a second uh, when we talk about salmon et al. Yeah, so really the, the purpose is, is to give that the both ends of the lawyers, the defendant and the claimant, that predictability, let's say, of what the costs are going to be. Yes. Um, so clients can reserve it. Uh, at both ends um but you've mentioned their good reason and and salmon um explain that to me so so uh st- starting with salmon i suppose Prabalas, this is uh, a case that you very much favored perhaps you'd like to kick off yeah sure so i mean perhaps i sh- i suppose we should talk about the somewhat confusion that arose out of salmon and and why that arose and and why there was uncertainty as a, as a result of it now, good reason to depart, that is required by the rules uh, for us to go up or down on a, uh, on a budget. In Salmon, His Honor Judge Dite suggested a few things. One of the things he said, which led to a lot of confusion, was he suggested 
possibly i'll say possibly that's how it's been taken by most legal practitioners and and uh, uh, in in other cases but he suggested possibly that an underspend in of itself can amount to a good reason to depart from the budget and many commentators said well that seems a strange suggestion because then in any case just because somebody has not spent all the money that they'd been budgeted they should now get even less that couldn't be right but he didn't necessarily just stop there he gave other good reasons to depart from a budget and one of those that particular one which i think is quite relevant and important and actually applicable in most cases is if a phase is substantially incomplete which means that all the assumptions that we made of work that will be undertaken and on the basis of which you're given a pot of money, if you haven't done those things, or at least substantially not done those things, then that ought to be a good reason to depart from the budget, depart downwards, that is. And that was the other thing he said in this case. It was a another limb, shall we say. Do you agree with that? Yeah, it, well, in, it, it, indeed. And, and if you like, the villain of the piece talking at the judgment of his honor Judge Dight, who was sitting with Master Brown as, as an assessor, which I'll come yes. back to in a second, was at, yes. was at paragraph 36. And uh, regional cost judge Lum, uh, Richard Lum, who sits as regional cost judge in Birmingham, uh, he was a sitting as a district judge on the case of uh, Chapman. Chapman. And uh, he had a look at uh, paragraph 36 of his honour Judge Dyke's judgment, and he didn't like it. He disagreed. He, 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 he said, if what uh, the learned judge says is correct, then every case would go to a detailed assessment. Because as Prabal has already mentioned, he not only went so far as to say that an amount claimed less than the amount of the approved sum in the phase amounts to a good reason, but also what you can do with that uh, is, is you can take it one step further and it, and it opens the the doors for the judge, the assessing judge, to use whatever tools they have in order to have a look again um, at those costs. And um, the other points that uh, Richard uh, Lum made about his criticism of that uh, process uh, was that it provided a perverse incentive to overspend and exceed every phase. Because otherwise, from the receiving party's point of view, they would know, well, if I spend less than this, the sum in this phase, the whole thing could open up to a detailed assessment of every single phase. Well, I must therefore spend more than the phase to stop that. So we don't have a detailed assessment of every phase. And it's that sort of perverse incentive that, that um, Richard Lum was uh, disagreed with. But I'll, I'll mention uh, again, Master Brown sitting as assessor because shortly after the decision of Richard Lum, he went on to make a decision himself in the case of, of, of Utting, which, which you may want to come on to, Prabhu. Yeah. Can, can, can I just, before we get on to Utting, can I just mention something? Because that's next, that's part three of this saga, shall we say. So mm -hmm. I just want to mention something about uh, Chapman. Uh, yep. what, what I'd just like to mention is District Judge Lum did criticize that aspect of of, uh, uh, of His Honor Judge Dyke's decision in Salmon. But the only aspect he dealt with was the underspend aspect. He didn't actually address the other element of his judgment, which is that if a phase is substantially incomplete, 
then then that can also be a good reason to depart from the budget. So it's it's worth mentioning that it was only one aspect of the case that he disagreed with, and the other aspect he simply didn't really really comment on. May I respectfully disagree? What I would say Richard Lum looked at is that he made the very valid point that you don't need to make the statement that claiming less than the sum in a phase expresses a good reason to depart because it is by its very face, by its very fact, it is departing from the budget without a good reason because it's common sense. Using the figures that I mentioned, if you've got 10,000 approved for a phase and the spend is only 5,000, that is less than a phase. You don't need a good reason for that. It's just a fact. It's £5,000 against £10,000. So I, I, I'm afraid I disagree with you. Well, I mean, I would say Utting, which we're going to discuss mm-hmm. as well, may also disagree with you. So Master Brown might disagree with you. But anyways, well, well I think now, now having said that, I think it's a, it's a good point to allow you to continue on to Utting. So please, if, you, if you'll continue, Phil. Thank you. So uh, one of the things I think that's important to mention in Utting is what Master Brown said at the outset is he did say he held his hand up and said, yes, I was the assessor on Salmon. And so I should perhaps say something about that. And he said he was very grateful to his honour judge Dight in kindly saying that, that whilst the conclusions that were reached at the end of the decision in Salmon were joint conclusions between uh, his honor judge Dite and uh, master brown the method the way in which uh, his honor judge Dite got to those conclusions that was not agreed by by master brown and he then goes on to explain why that is uh, um, in in the decision in utting and he says that he agrees with richard lum so uh, an underspend uh, is is in it, by its very nature, it is less than the amount that's being claimed, but that's not itself a good reason. It is just a fact. Um, but he also, and most importantly, goes on, and I know, I know, Prabal loves this, and that is that, <laughs> that um, it contrasts with a situation where a phase is not substantially completed, where it would, to my mind, be unjust for a receiving party to receive the full amount of a budgeted sum in circumstances where only a modest amount of the expected work have been done. Do you agree, Prabhu? Yes, yeah. So, he, well, in a way, he, as, as, as I said, he disagreed with the aspect that underspend amounts to a good reason, but, and he, but, but he goes on to say, however, yeah, it's, it's unjust if receiving party gets a substantially more amount when they've only done a portion of that work. I think it might be worth just giving an example of what something like that might be. Definitely, that would help. Yeah, so, so, so because we're sort of talking in hypotheticals here. So let's say in an ADR phase, £10,000 is given to a party. And the assumption is that a mediation will take place. A mediation is an expensive endeavor. You know, you have mediator's fee, cost of attending, cost of travel, cost of counsel, yada, yada, yada. So 10,000 pounds. Turns out no mediation takes place. A written offer is made and accepted, perhaps, or even two written offers are exchanged and, and accepted. Now, a substantially less amount of work has been done. But let's say the, the receiving party now claims 9,000 of the 10,000 pounds. Now, okay. if we were to go simply by uh, District Judge Lum's uh, point of view, well, it's irrespective of how much work has been done, it's still within the budget. And, and it would simply give the detailed assessment judge no mechanism of looking into that at all. 
Whereas if we were to go by that second element of what Salmon said or what Master Brown says subsequently in Utting, the, the judge can now see that as a good reason to depart, i.e. this phase, substantially less work has been done in this phase than was originally conceived would be done when the cost budgeting was done on the basis of which £10,000 was given. So let's now look into it. Let's look into it and see if the amount that has been claimed is reasonable and proportionate to what has been done. Yes. So, so if I may, pulling all those yeah. threads together, yes, we've got one extreme, the decision in Salmon, the other mm-hmm. extreme, the decision in Chapman, and Master yes. Brown is sitting on the fence. He's pulling all the threads together and, yes. and he's, he's, he's helping us out. So put otherwise, Salmon gets the reasoning back to front. And the reason yes. why I say that is rather than focusing on the phases where less than the budget is claimed, yeah. the courts should focus on those phases where the whole budget amount is claimed, but not all of the work has been done. Yes, that, that's quite right. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a good way of describing Salmon is on one end, Chapman is on the other, and Utting brings it all together and gives more clarity to the law, which is why I said at the beginning, since our that five-year-ago, let's say, uh, uh, disagreement, Phil, yeah. uh, uh, we have had Utting, and Utting uh, gives a lot more clarity that we didn't have back then. Yeah, I think it helps that Master Brown had a, 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 an opportunity for a second bite at the pie. Indeed. So, so he, he was able to, I think, accept the perhaps imperfect way that the matter was dealt with in Salmon and then yeah. correct that, taking into account uh, Richard Lum's arguably perhaps left, slightly left field views or extreme yeah. views and, yeah. and, and present a, a more, modest, uh, more modest approach. Indeed. Okay. Indeed. I, I would also just say as much as uh, uh, Phil has characterized how much I like Salmon as an argument, <laughs> uh, I, I should say I only like it as when I'm a, a paying party as a receiving party, it's it's, yes. it's equally frustrating having to argue against it. So I've had to do both argue for and against this this thing that I'm, let's say, championing. The, the, yes, the the, the the lot of an advocate. Indeed. indeed, indeed. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So the the current law then, I'm not talking about just budgets, the current interpretation of the law, uh, you both agree is correct. Or would you think it needs to go further or less? What would you say? Well, there is there is something we disagree on. So so yeah. Utting has provided clarity on on what the position should be. But once good reason has been established, I think Phil and I disagree on yes. what ought to be done. Mm-hmm. This is where I think Prabal reverts to his salmon clothes, and and <laughs> and he likes what. Uh, is uh, on a judge diet said about what the powers that the court had in those circumstances, whereas I much prefer Richard Lum's approach, um, not as restrictive as he did, but in the sense of um, it's not the job of the court to engage in the detailed assessment post the acceptance that there has been good reason to depart. And what the court ought to be doing is taking it all into context. And if you like, in a similar way to the um, the, the judge dealing with the cost budget, come up with what is a reasonable figure for the work that has actually been incurred. But I should emphasize, without going back to what the judge may or may not have done at the uh, cost management phase, uh, because that would be outside of the remit of the uh, determining judge. Phil, should we not give the courts more reasons to be able to 
go to a detailed assessment? Well, well I'd, I'd, I'd like to just, just address something here. Yeah. Uh, just, just to confirm to our listeners what actually was said in Salmon on this point. What His Honor Judge Dite said regarding this point is once good reason has been established, it's open to the assessing judge, the detail assessment judge, as to how they ought to deal with that particular phase. They can, in, in, in their wisdom, and in the context of the case, either apply a broad brush approach to make reductions or not make any reductions, which, whichever way, or line by line assess it, i.e. you know, detail assess it. Now, to say that, well, these costs have already been dealt with at the cost budgeting stage, so a line by line assessment is, uh, is too much and it, we should only take a broad brush approach, I think that's going too far. And here's why. We have already departed from the budget. We have already accepted by this stage that the budget is no longer a good comparator for what reasonable costs are. We are now looking at the circumstances of the case. Now, cost budgeting, it's been made clear many a times that cost budgeting is not detail assessment. We are, we are doing a, we're for, you, know, you know, we're feature projecting and it's a very different exercise, but now we're at detailed assessment. So, you know, in the same way that uh, cost budgeting is not detail assessment. Detail assessment is not cost budgeting. Courts have been detail assessing cases for decades at this point. So since we're at detail assessment, since we have accepted that a that we are that the cost budget is no longer a good comparator for what reasonable costs are, well, let's just go through it line by line what we've been doing this whole time. In fact, by the time we get to the budgeted cost, we have just been detail assessing the the the, the non-budgeted cost. Well, for this phase that that the budget no longer applies, well, why not do it line by line, I say? Well, two, two reasons. Two reasons against... I disagree, if I may. Go on, Phil. Two reasons. Go on, Phil. One is that the exercise of proportionality has already been carried out at the costs management stage, and this is mentioned by both uh, Richard Lum and also Master Brown. So you can't have another go at proportionality. And the other one is, if you do as you suggest and go down a line-by-line -line detailed assessment route, then you are not preserving the cost budgeting process. And that is, is fundamentally where I think it's wrong because um, the purpose of cost budgeting or one of the purposes of the reforms brought in by Lord Jackson with cost budgeting was to reduce the time spent on detailed assessment. Yeah. That's what I was just about to say. And I perfectly accept that, but only accept we have already departed from the budget. We, do, we are saying the cost budget need not be preserved. And, and in terms of uh, saving time, well, yes, in any phase where there is no good reason to depart, we have saved all the time. It's only in those specific phases where we have departed from the budget. Well, if we're departing from the budget literally means we're not preserving the budget anymore. We are going away from it. Well, then if we're going away from it, then we're going away from it. That's it's simple as that. Isn't it very rare in that scenario, though, Prabhupada, that you've got a phase that is exactly on the money and not underspent or overspent? Well, it's it's more like, you know, how far do you lean before the bike falls off? It's 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 substantially incomplete. It's not just a little bit incomplete. And and well, and well, how do you know it? Well, you, you know it when you see it. Well, in that case, wouldn't we just be better getting rid of budgets? Well, that's that's a whole other question then, isn't it? 
Which leads me on to the next one, <laughs> topic, yeah. which is yeah. I'm talking about the future of budgets now. And yeah. I know there's a lot of commentators, a lot of judges having opinions on this yeah. um, and bring them forth if, if you want in this. But I really want to know both of your opinions on, let's say you were the government here and you could change the rules. What would you do with budgeting? Having It's been 10 years now, nearly coming up to 10 years. What What would you do with it? Go on, Prabhupada, you go first. Cause I... Yeah, I, I, I mean, yeah, I, I think I'm going to go back to what Phil said right at the outset. I think with, without cost budgeting, we go back to the wild days where suddenly right at the end, an ambush happens up and we have no idea. A, a, a paying party suddenly gets struck with all these costs, which they had no idea were being incurred. I don't think it would be a thing of justice to go back to, to those days where... Cost budgeting gives certainty to parties in a way that we never had in the past. I would say cost budgeting can be improved, but to do away with it would simply lead us back to the old days. And we don't want that either, I would say. But yes, Phil, please, I, I think I know what you're about to say. Yes, Let's because that, that very point is included in the submissions that um, myself, um, Phil Bailey, who deals with uh, cost knowledge management, and Adam Burrell, who is the uh, cost product uh, partner, head of uh, the product, have put together um, in order to make uh, the DACB contribution towards the CJC um, uh, discussion on on cost, the consultation, uh, which was due to be published last year, but it got postponed because of all the changes that are intended for the uh, the, the the further track of costs, the the, the medium track, which is uh, we we certainly know is going to be pushed back to October this year. And as far as budgeting was concerned, in the consultation, questions were asked about, for example, default on, default off, because at the moment there is a default on uh, that budgets it's by default budgets have to be produced and the question was put should that continue or should there be a default off one of the suggestions is there should be a split between claimants and defendants that it's universally accepted that defendants cost budgets are of less purpose than claimants uh, cost budgets so do we really need defendants cost budgets or if we do should they be limited to front sheets for example um, because at the moment a budget is presented in broadly speaking about 10 pages covering all the phases that Prabal uh, previously set out. Um, but if you just have a front sheet page, that could reduce the work for the judge because there is a certain amount of pushback from the judiciary on cost budgeting. They feel that a lot of time has been spent uh, on this and um, it's it's not time uh, well spent. And, and I think, uh, Will, you wanted to say something about the opinion of uh, Master Davidson. Yeah, I was going to ask you both in regards to not just Master Davison, but any uh, of the judiciary that, that you've had in a, in a hearing in regards to what their opinion is. What what do you, if you had to have a snapshot of what the judiciary's opinion on this, what would you say? I, I don't think there's a general judiciary opinion, but certainly Master Davison doesn't like cost budgeting uh, um, from, from my um, experience. No, he, he has said on hearings that I've attended that, that yeah. um, in his view, the detailed assessment process is sufficient to look after the uh, concerns of a paying party. Uh, and um, so receiving parties don't need cost budgeting to control the claimant's cost because detailed assessment is there. And so particularly on the larger cases, Master Davidson's view is that it, it is simply a waste of time. And all it, all it achieves is an increase in costs which is the exact opposite of what it's supposed to achieve. So 
would you agree that you think the benefits outweigh the extra steps the detriments basically they they do because with respect to master davison i believe that he is missing the point and that is the fundamental point which probal just mentioned about avoiding the need for going back to the days of ambush and that we should have prospective costs because that is the modern way the modern way of dealing with all aspects of society, not just legal work, is openness. And and so that everybody uh, is on a level playing field. It's fair to everybody. And if you don't know what the costs are, how can litigation possibly be conducted in a fair way? I would say it can't be. So there has to be an openness and budgeting is the only way to achieve that. But but I think we should just mention a little bit of reform is, however, needed. What happens right now, at least in my experience, is you have an hour and a half cost and case management here, uh, conference. Most of the time gets taken up by directions. And you're, you're left with a, maybe 10 minutes to deal with cost budgeting. And it becomes such a broad brush exercise, which has such dramatic implications on the cost of the case, the entire conduct of the case. But it, it all gets done in such a in such a short time that that feels incorrect and, and to that I, I say there is some reform required as to how cost budgeting should be done in the future would you agree phil yes if there is a way that we can cut down the the time in order to get the main thrust of the budget done and if that means less time is spent on defendant budgets and so be it um, the important thing is that there is a control of the claimant's costs, particularly from our client's point of view, because our clients are, generally speaking, paying the cost of claimants. And and the the I mean, one way I might think is uh, uh, is a good way to go about it. It, it increases a little bit of cost, but I think overall it gives more time to attune our minds towards uh, uh, cost budgeting. How the Sheffield County Court does it? They have a cost management conference and then a separate case. A management conference. Well, they have the case management conference first, and then the cost budgeting hearing at a later date, which gives an hour or so for the cost budgeting aspect of it. To my mind, that's that's a somewhat better way of dealing with it because by the time we come to the cost budgeting hearing, the 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 any disputes as to directions have already been dealt with. Yes, and and, and I can tell you that 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 proposal, if you like, the right. Sheffield method. Yeah. Uh, is being broadly accepted by the judiciary yeah. as, as a good idea, and I not nearly enough in my in my from what I've seen, not nearly enough. But I would I would like to see that happen more and more. So, yes, the, the push yeah. the pushback against the Sheffield method is because it, it moves away from the fundamental tenet of um, the Jackson reforms that when the judge is dealing with the directions that they have the figures in front of them in the budget. So it may well be that the final decision come perhaps October this year will be some sort of slight nuance change to the to the Sheffield method. I, I would say it moves away from the form of Jackson reform in adding an extra hearing, but it's more in keeping with the spirit of Jackson reform in actually controlling the cost and controlling the, and making the cost more proportionate. So that's what I would say to, to, to the Sheffield method. It's, it's moving away only in form, but not in spirit and principle. Kudos to the uh, Sheffield courts then in regards to that by the sounds of it. <laughs> um, in regard, if, if you do reform, if, if it was up to you two and you did reform, for example, when budgets come in, it's, it's taken us 10 years 
or to get Utin. So to get the clarity there, wouldn't that just be more cases, more interpretation, more commenters, more costs, which goes against the Jackson reforms? I mean, can we really complain about that kind of thing as lawyers? Isn't that kind of <laughs> what we do? <laughs> well, if you look at the Jackson reforms purpose, yeah. then yeah, you have to. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Um, I think that's that's everything from me, to be fair. Um, thank you very much for the both. I think we could talk about this for hours and hours, to be fair, um, as you did it all that time five years ago. Um, thank you very much for coming, and thank you very much for discussing it. It's been amazing. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having us. Thank you.